0: 90% of universities believe college graduates are prepared for the workforce. 90% of CEOs disagree. Imagine that. You should listen to this podcast if you want to improve as a person, you want to improve as a parent, or you want to learn more about the innovation happening today in the universities in our community. Today, we have the opportunity and privilege to visit with a superstar, Dr. Chris Howard. And, and I say he's a superstar, and, and, I, and I'll just give you a little background about, uh, about Chris. Went to the Air Force Academy, Rhodes Scholar, got his doctorate from Oxford, Harvard MBA, NCA Selection Committee. That's sort of cool. One of 13 people that picked the uh, college football top 25. Bronze Star in Afghanistan, Board of Directors of the American College on Education, and you come to Pittsburgh in 2016 as the RMU president. So welcome to Pittsburgh. Thank you. I We moved 13 times, my wife and I and my
1: family. We finally got to Pittsburgh. It took us a while. Is this it? We're here. Yes. Is this it? <laughs> We're here. <laughs> We're not looking to go anywhere. How's that? That's right.
0: If you haven't met, if you haven't met Chris, by the way, I'm gonna tell you, you're going to. Because it is amazing. Everywhere I go, I hear your name, and you've only been here three years.
1: A little bit over three years. Yeah, I try to get around. It's part of the job. If you want to be a, a successful president in the 21st century, you got to know folks, and folks got to know you. So, yeah.
0: So, um, so at RMU, what are some of your goals at RMU? Why did you select RMU, and what's your vision?
1: Sure. Um, so, why did I select RMU, Robert Morris University here in, in Pittsburgh? Um, you know, I I'm happy that I do this get this question because quite often I use it as a proxy that I try to convince students and their families to come here. I say I want to go to a place that's on the right side of history, right? With all due respect to my neighbor in Swickley, uh, Mariola Mew. Let's quote the other great one, Gretzky. Right. Let's let's go to. Let, you, you need to skate to where the puck's going, and our army's skating to where the puck's going. Why do I say that? Uh, we're professionally focused. You know, we like to jokingly say that uh, you know, Robert Morris. You would call it Bobby Moe. Oh, Bobby Moe has gone. Wants, wants to make you a Bobby Pro, and uh, it used to be in business back in the day, but now it's business. It's engineering. It's data analytics, it's cybersecurity, it's nursing, it's education, it's actuarial science. It could go on and on and on. So the fact that, you know, for example, in Pittsburgh and around the country, it's the lowest unemployment rate in the history of marking that. But also um, the challenges with making sure that college is relevant and that getting people into and through. Robert Morris has always had a history for 100 years of doing just that. I like to say that it's big enough to matter, yet small enough to care. And we trademarked that, so every time you say that, Greg, you have to give me a dollar. You know. <laughs> Got so, it. Um, but I, I, but so choosing a place that's on the right side of history, professionally focused, but with a with a liberal arts, good general education background, very connected to a community, Pittsburgh. Have you looked around recently? It's a pretty cool place, man. It's a cool place. You, know, you thought about it. It used to be pierogies and and and, and, pie. and, and 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 rolling rock, <laughs> and now it's we're artisans. It's we have baristas and <laughs> all sorts of a foodie, a sporty town, and everything. And um, we, so I like to say, and I'll close here. I'd just say a place that's sort of equidistant from the shell cracker plant and modern manufacturing in Bakery Square with Google in the airport corridor where Christine Casotis is doing a great job of renovating not only the airport corridor and putting an innovation campus there, Robert Moore sits there literally and
0: physically, and to be a part of that journey was, uh, hey, it's a no-brainer. Right. So here's what I've been impressed with. Uh, in, in, we got to know each other. Remember, we, we played golf, and so uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, you, and, and you, you played golf. <laughs> I I acted <laughs> like I played golf. <laughs> well, so it was, fun. It was it great. Was day. A in of fact, fun. our mutual friend he said uh, I have someone joining us, and I said, okay, who is that? And he said Chris Howard, who's like the you know Dr. Chris Howard, he's president of Robert university. And I'm thinking, okay, that sounds awful. Like <laughs> this guy, this guy can't be any fun at all. And then she showed up and it was like game on and it was fun. But one, of, I learned so much playing golf with you that day. One of the things that I've been impressed with, I, I mentioned to you how we want to attract young, talented people. And we, and, and, and it was like, Instant, I had a call from you know the person in charge of financial planning at uh, at Robert Morris University, sure. the in, the individual you and I spoke about. Zai. You're like hey. Zai, you got to talk to Zai. Yeah, lunch tomorrow, Zai, by the way. Good, good job. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so student government president, lot, <laughs> student government rock star. He's yep. gonna be he's gonna be fabulous, and we really enjoyed getting to know him. So I've been so impressed with how you have partnered with with us immediately to make sure that we have the right talent, because it feels like there's a gap that. Organizations like ours, we really want young, talented people, and you have them, and you hear companies like ours say we can't find them, and you hear students say we can't find a job, and we start matchmaking, man. And how I do you mean, do that? Like it and is that typical?
1: Well, one thing is we've got you know, no no man or woman does it alone. We put together a really good strategic plan, RMU 100, right? <laughs> and one of the things about being that preferred strategic partner for corporation organizations. Professionals and aspiring professionals in the Pittsburgh region and beyond, we got behind that. We got behind this professional you, professional university, partner you, because we think that for this community to be vibrant, this region, the Commonwealth, the country, and even beyond, we've got to figure out how we break down those silos, right? Um, 90% of provosts or chief academic officers think that students that graduate are prepared for the workforce whilst 90% of CEOs think just the opposite.
0: I remember you told that. that they're right. not
1: not prepared for the workforce. So as they say in my home state of Texas, Houston, we got a problem. But it's nothing – and one of our core values, by the way, Greg, is uh, responsiveness, right? Um, um, responsiveness and, and, and also sort of the spirit of sort of working together. Collaboration is another one of our core values. And so – from the president on down, from the chairman of the board, Rich Harshman, who used to be the CEO and yeah. chairman of, of ATI, who's a Robert Morris graduate great as well. Terrific. I was with him this morning. Mm-hmm. Um, w- with every fiber of our being, anytime we see an opportunity with a great firm like Confluence to do this, we're going to lean in. The the Barlow Shells members, we're going to lean in every single time. And the good news is it's not just me. It's the faculty. It's the staff. It's the alumni. It's the parents. But what I want to do is make it more systematic. You know, us, you know three guys walk into a golf course and something fun happens somebody's life gets changed that's good but a machine that produces talented thoughtful people that are that are engaging that can read the newspaper have good ideas have a good sense of humor and also be technically proficient in their skill set hey man we can change the world that way so we're thank you for 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 hearing us out and uh, just know that we are open for business
0: we absolutely appreciate that and we also talked about how it's shifted a little bit in that i think companies expect the student to come out 100 percent trained and it used to be that wasn't that's the, the case right where that you would you would go to IBM or you go to zero and yet that's how you would learn business sure and I think companies today yeah you, you guys
1: okay you guys have gotten lazy
0: no, 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 no! No, no no. No, no, <laughs> not no, no, you're not lazy. I'm just, I'm just teasing.
1: But I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna jump in here. You're absolutely right. Um, and and I think Confluence does a really good job. I love your idea about building your culture. And I mean, I was like talking with somebody just yesterday at the Duquesne Club about that, and and really sort of praising what you guys are doing at your firm here at Confluence. But there used to be an A and H where people would go to generally liberal arts colleges, and they would graduate, and and Big Blue would train them, or Johnson and Johnson would train them, and or J.P. Morgan would train them. Um, and it would take several months. But the pressure, um, and I don't think you're publicly held, but especially for publicly held firms to get the profitability to so quickly, they've kind of pushed that down into the universities and colleges. And universities and colleges are not exactly lovers of change. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, don't love to have to take the sort of more practical things that people would pick up on the job and uh, have to do them in the institution themselves. So we as a professionally focused institution, it started as the Pittsburgh School of Accountancy as a for-profit school a couple of blocks from here in the William Penn Hotel. Yeah, you know, we're cool with that. You know, we are a little, was a little bit easier. But I do think there needs to be, and as a member of the Allegheny Conference on Community Development Board, um, kind of a give and take where, you know, we need to get them teed up and ready to be, but they can't be all of that. In fact, in, in, um, as we think about lifelong learning, you know, we should never stop training and educating learning anyway. But that that rub right there, when the person walks off the stage and I give them their diploma, to the moment they start working for you or for Goldman or for PNC or whatever, we've got to work that mushy middle a little better and kind of divide and conquer a little bit better to, to make sure we satisfy your needs and also that we're producing the kind of people that they you know they pay good money to become. So
0: and for us that works because you you know, they come out, they come out of Robert Morris, they have a solid foundation. And we would rather train them here in the way we believe business should work for our clients. Not necessarily some generic, we want a different standard. So one of the other things we talked about on the golf course that day is the challenges. I was surprised the challenges that are facing universities and the differences between a very large organization versus a a smaller, university like Robert Morris. Yeah.
1: So we're, we, we I would say we're not small. I'd say big enough to matter. Smaller. smaller. Okay. It's all <laughs> it's all a relative term. So right. just a level set, we're about, you know, we're always in between like 4,500 and 5,000 students, about a thousand undergrad about four thousand undergraduate about a thousand graduates and doctorals. So we're a national doctoral granting university, but we are, you know, smaller than Pitt and smaller than Penn State, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so you know, it, its size is part of it, but also, you know, there's about 100 universities that are kind of untouchable. They're the Mount Mount Olympus University. You, you've heard of them. Harvard, and I like to go on the record and say there's no BS like HBS. I went there. I love the place, but I love to tease it. You know, the yells of the wor- world, the the Swarthmore's. I mean, there, there are some schools. Their endowments over a billion dollars. Harvard's endowment is thirty-four billion and counting. I think that's a small, uh, you know, Latin American country's GDP, basically. So they're just operating with a different set of rules and and toolkits in in terms of in in their fine institutions. Most of us are tuition driven. The other four thousand two hundred and fifty institutions out there, public and private, most of us are tuition driven, and that means that we're built for growth. We need. People to make a lot of kids – the kids to come and use my product and get bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, and what we've hit here, specifically in the Midwest and the Northeast, is a demographic sort of uh, wall to some extent. Um, and so if you don't have as many people coming out to fill the seats, you have fixed costs, you have tenure, you have unions. You were telling
0: me how many – What's the drop in high school grad, seniors? Yeah, it's it just-
1: an interesting fact. So so overall enrollment in America is now 250,000 year over year, right, where it's been going up exponentially almost going back years before that. Um, 5.8, according to my head of uh, uh, development, uh, not development, but planning administration, it says that we have 5.8 million fewer children born since the Great Recession because of the Great Recession, Right. So, you know, the, the the baby boomer years and all that kind of stuff, groovy like gravy, things were going up. Plus, we actually have more people from different economic strata going to university now, but they obviously need more resources. But the challenge is just, there's just less demand, right? And there's probably overcapacity in higher education. And, you know… In your business, in the business of business, I used to be at General Electric, at Bristol-Myers Squibb. People buy, they sell, they consolidate, they do M&A. Bankers make money, lawyers make money, consultants make money, and then then they do it something different five years later. It doesn't quite work that way in higher education. You don't see as much of that. So we're trying to figure out the next next in a place where we're going to have less demand for the most part. We're going to have to be more innovative, more scrappy, more willing to take risks. Better at operational effectiveness. I just joined. Uh, so, wait, give is, me some. Like,
0: that's great stuff. Give me some examples of this. So, more innovative, more willing to take risk. Like, how are you doing that?
1: Yeah, you know what? It, it's um, culture eats strategy for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, right? Right. So, we're, first off, we're trying to change the, you know, influence the culture. The good news about Robert Moore's is we've always been pretty innovative and scrappy, as it were. Um, you know, everything from taking a hotel when we had over, when we had too many students at one point, and we take a hotel, we run it as a hotel and dorm for a while, then we make it into a, a dorm, buying the island, uh, the uh, island, uh, um, ice, uh, ice skating rink out there in Neville Island and launching, uh, r- hockey and what have you. Those are some pretty entrepreneurial big, big moves. Um, moving from being, um, in the city, to moving full-time out to Moon Township, you know, that's kind of some, that's in my, our, our, that's in our DNA. But right now, we are trying to, we, we we talk about how we can create ideas that move the needle. We recognize that 60% of cost for most universities is actually people, and 40% is other things. And we recognize that you got to use technology to in, improve your operation, what have you. And we've, we've had a lot of success in that regard. One of the things we're doing specifically is uh, this thing we call I-squared. I'll I'll close my my answer out with this. I think it kind of speaks specifically to your point. So use some fancy consulting words. We want to have a gating process for ideation. I thought I'd never say that together, a gating process. So basically, we want to have a a parking lot to throw cool ideas. So with us, it's something that nets $250,000 or it gets us $250,000 in net savings and we kind of four block it, right? As if your podcast people could see me making my hands do this. I, <laughs> I'm okay. sorry about that. You got it. <laughs> <laughs> You've only done that like 10 times. I right? understand. <laughs> but anyway, it's, it's the old. So you have X axis. or Imagine that that is the um, the cost of implementing, you know, the the payoff. The Y axis is how much it costs to kind of do it. And you put things in different grids. And so our leadership team is constantly throwing ideas on that. And we have uh, uh, Dr. Derek Jacobs, our Senior Vice President for Corporate Relations and Strategic Initiatives, who helps our leadership team go through those ideas. And I want to have a surplus. I want to constantly be at every meeting of my leadership team, every board meeting, walking through, what does this idea look like? Power like of there?
0: ideas. Yeah, that's it. We, we talked in here just about, we need more people to have more ideas. Because yes. it, it tends to be somewhat concentrated. Yes. More people, more ideas. And
1: also, Greg... You know what I've been discovering is that we've done a pretty good job top down. Our people who work, faculty, staff, and the trench, they are very bright, very intelligent, and they're innovating. We're trying to unleash the innovative spirit for them because they see it every day. That's again. it. So we're, we're we're getting there. and these, these don't happen overnight. We have a good start, and uh, you know we've, we've we've done some pretty you know cool things to kind of move the needle. And I'm, and I'm excited about it, including partnerships. You know, um, I'll I'll mention one. This is kind of innovative. So this is, I got to know. Um, Teresa Carlson at Amazon. She's a direct reporter to Jeff Bezos on this thing I was doing with the Department of Veteran Affairs called My VA with Secretary McDonald. Long story short, we started talking about what Amazon's doing, what Robert Morris is doing, and we thought we might do something around diversity, but, she, but, but Teresa said, My team, we can't produce enough web uh, cloud service people, AWS people. You remember the cloud? That's where they make making the money, really. You know, Netflix is in their cloud. I think Mortgage taking works in the cloud. So long story short, Amazon goes, We want to. You know, a partner and it'll be like a hundred universities, we will train your professors, two of your professors, in our cloud computing process, and then they can go back and they can teach that course. They have to teach the course, by the way, a couple of semesters and when the students to take it, they will be cloud certified and they can take the testing and that's a, you know, six figure job. Well, um they told us that um, that not only were, were we one of the first to jump at this, we were one of the easiest to work with on that. And now we have in two different schools, informatics and also in engineering, we offer this cloud services, cloud computing certification. And then the business school said, hey, we want to be a part of that. And they have a subset, smaller version of that, like kind of a, a light version of that, and they offered the business school. And then they said, we want to have in our curriculum, every student doing cloud computing to get one credit hour course in cloud computing. That's pretty
0: innovative. No question. That was like 18 months. Wow. Not bad. Wow. So um, another idea that you were telling me about is ISAs. Mm. So, and, and, and that's not new. Actually, it's it's somewhat dated, but it's having a rebirth or it has a potential rebirth. Yes. When you were telling me about that, that's, that, that was interesting. Could you explain to our listeners sure. a little bit about it?
1: So the origins, it started off in Yale like in the 70s, I believe. And it's basically kind of a proxy for equity for letting people pay for their school as opposed to debt. And an income share agreement, or an ISA, says that when someone graduates, you, they get some money while they're going to school. Let's say a five thousand dollar ISA or ten thousand, whatever. When they graduate, depending on how much money they make, their income is how much they pay back. So, if you are a uh, wealth management uh, mm-hmm. guru, uh, like my son is, like you are, and you know you're in the market and you're making good money, uh, we, you pay
0: will we, we, we'll ultimately save your. <laughs> <laughs>
1: you pay more. And if you are someone who goes in the Peace Corps and, you know, and you decide that you that salary is going to be pretty low, you don't pay anything until your salary goes to a certain mark, you know, whatever that number is. But if you're at the top of the scale, you know, it, it, it caps. I think it's like 1.75 of what you got out of it, what you put into it, I mean, what you got out of it initially. And if you're at the bottom, you know, sometimes you will be able to play. And, some, and even when you do pay, it won't be as much as the people making more money. And why I say I'm not saying better jobs. I'm just saying making more money. Mm -hmm. I'm not trying to say being one is better than the other. I'm just simply saying that income is income. So, here's a way kind of using actuarial tables so that X amount of people are going to make this much money, X amount are going to make that much money, and we can kind of work it out. And by the way, Robert Morris has one of the top 25 best actuarial science programs in the world. I had to sneak that in <laughs> I got there. It. Our program is great. This <laughs> right. commercial has been brought to you by the actuarial right. science program at Robert Morris University. But um, being as professionally focused as we are, putting 95% of our students roughly 94 percent into jobs within a year after they graduate we're in a good position to take advantage of this now here's the last part is it is,
0: happening or is it just it's happening
1: is... it's happening at purdue norwich utah clarkson and i think messiah so you know we're we're looking to be the fast follower because it feels just like soon.
0: something you know just the 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 uh the economics at least people's perception of the economics of a of a of a education, a college education right now, yeah. is being questioned. Yes, it is. I mean, it's, it, and, and I actually looked at a statistic, um, you know, how people feel about their debt. 36% of college graduates paying off students, student loans say that it wasn't worth it. But those same people... Over their careers, make a million dollars more. I know, right? So, but the but the view is people are starting to question. We talk to people all the time about saving for five twenty nine and every once in a while we'll say, "I don't know. I may just help my you know child, but if I give them the money, that would just be better off if I gave them the money." So there's a lot of questions right now. Well, they, when they say that, ask them what job
1: their kid's going to be in in ten years, mm-hmm. fifteen years. We have jobs going on right now, Greg, and and not every single one requires a college degree or a doctorate or an associate, but many of them require some second, you know, tertiary education and, and definitely degrees. But don't you want to be positioned for the unknown? I mean, the line of the military is you train for what you know, you educate for what you don't know. Mm-hmm. Like I alluded to before, you know, it's a startup kit. We were professionally focused, but, you know, your degree is kind of a startup kit, but you'd rather be starting with that than a lot of other things. So we got to figure out a way to fund it properly. And to close out the comment about the ISAs, which is very exciting. What I hear over and over and over again from CEOs that I interact with, I'm on the advisory board of a couple of companies as well, and they're always saying, I need people. I need talent. Well and What we're saying is we need students and we need money. So let's link these up. So maybe with the ISA, a company could say, I like this student; They're pretty sharp. I'm going to fund this pool of ISA, say it's 5000 10000 20000 whatever. They can intern at my company, my firm, my organization, right? So get some that work experience to tie back into the educational experience. They graduate. They don't have to pay the ISA back
0: mm-hmm.
1: until – and sorry, unless they leave early, right? You set up, you know, three, five, whatever years you all agree on. Now, here's the good news. If they leave the firm, Confluence and PNC or whatever – they're leaving because they didn't like the company, <laughs> maybe, and then they leave and maybe they don't have a great job lined up. But because the ISA works with your income, you just, you're just you going to fall in that category. You won't have to pay. Or you're leaving for a better job and you pay more. Either way, it's a win-win scenario. And it mm-hmm. connects capital. What's with you guys? you got to connect capital where it's needed. And that's what we need to do. We need to get the people that need the human capital to give us the capital, capital mm-hmm. to get the human capital you need—that's my like my uh, sojourn now. You know that's my quest right now, and in try, and Pittsburgh's a great place to do it because great companies, big, small, medium size, great universities nearby, people edgy like Robert Morris that want to try it, and uh, you know, have me back on the uh, in, in a year or so <laughs> when we get this thing launched, and
0: I'll tell you how it went. What is some of the advice that you'd give a parent? So right now, parent has. Grade school kids, high school kids. What are some of the things they should be thinking about? Because it sounds like with the, you know, all the changes that you're making and innovation and exciting things, you're thinking differently. Um, should parents be thinking differently? And what are some of the things that they should be preparing for?
1: Well, since my wife and I raised uh, two perfect children,
0: yeah. I'm the absolute right person to give you an answer yeah, to I, this question. I, I, I read your bio and and I was impressed, but then I read your wife's and yeah. I was more impressed. Yeah, my wife grew
1: up in you? apartheid South. Africa. I outran my coverage. Yeah. I did. I yeah, there's no question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's a neat lady. Just a couple. Just, we're a on Barbara. Mrs. Barbara Howard, she's uh, from South Africa, from Johannesburg. She's colored, which means of mixed racial descent in South Africa. Um, she grew up in apartheid South Africa. The first time she voted for Nelson Mandela was the first time her mom ever voted the first time her grandmother ever voted. Um, and, uh, you talk about, uh, my mom and dad grew up in Jim Crow South in Texas and, you, and, and this is my wife. She's younger than me. Right. And, uh, so she's a tough, gritty, resilient woman. And that would be one of the things I would talk to parents about. And it depends on, it depends quite often to the socioeconomic strategy you're going in. So, you know, this, I want to be very careful uh, how I answer this because there's a lot of different types of parents and kids in very, very different situations. But I would say that character, resilience still matter. Intellectual curiosity still matters and competition and learning how to compete fairly deal with the consequences and rebound, that still matters, right? From how do you teach time. that as a parent? Like, how do you teach that? Well, you model it, right? And one thing, when, mom, when, when, when my mom went to school, she started off in college. Uh, she was valedictorian in her high school. My dad was salutatorian in his high school. They ended up at Prairie View and And my mom always reminded my dad, I lost him last January, that she was valedictorian. Thank you, Greg. And he was only a salutatorian. <laughs> But she runs out of money in Prairie View A um, and M, and she didn't get married to my dad. He was an army, he ended up being an army officer, and had a great career in UPS. But my mom took classes at night my whole life, and I remember this one time she goes, uh, "I think I was like a sophomore in high school." My mom goes, "Boy, I got that grade back in business statistics, and I made a C plus. I am so happy." She worked so hard to get that C plus. She ended up graduating cum laude from University of Texas at Dallas. But it, that was a hard class for her, so she modeled a behavior of even if I work hard, I might get middling results, but I did my best, and you watched it, and I watched, it, I witnessed it. You I mean, see,
0: well. your like, seeing your parents work hard and give effort, and failing, and then still getting back up. You got it right. Yeah. I mean,
1: it's important. It is important, and is it you know? And and we can we can curate our life, our kids' lives. I, I, I often say, I want to. I, I was wrong, I was Steve Clemish, who's a. Robert Morris graduate runs the EY board practice. Great guy. He used to run the Pittsburgh office. He goes, "Man, I was just war- I was just born one generation too early." <laughs> <laughs> Man, I if, I, if I if I could have been my kids, I'd been great. <laughs> it's not,
0: there's nothing wrong with your kids. Seeing you yeah. work early and like I mean early exactly in the right. morning. My dad and... was the
1: same way. I mean the work ethic of your I mean a lot of the Robert Morris kids, the ones that graduated now, they're doing so well. They tell the same stories. But grittiness matters. Work ethic matters. And you know the other side is that. We we run the risk of becoming helicopter parents or um, I, you know I, man, I, fighter pilot yeah, parents, um, you just curling yeah. parents. That is you know? so me. It, it's
0: tough. Like I, we because you know what we get we get we get we get paid to solve problems. So yes, I, that's right. And so what, I have to pull back. And you
1: never and, and they you know Bill Walton. I'm a friend of Bill Walton, right. I'm a basketball yep. player. He says, Chris, the worst thing you can do for your kids you love the first thing you can do for those you love are the things they should do for themselves. Yeah. Because yeah. you you become an enabler and you know. What makes you a good person is not because everything was a Disney movie. Yeah. What makes you a good person is because you got kicked in the crotch and you got up. And you have some grit and some resilience and some soul, which also creates the E word, which is empathy. Think about this. This is one thing. I talk to students all the time. I say there's two A's in an A. You know, it's empathy and effort, right? Those are the two things you can control. You can put yourself in somebody's shoes, right? And you can work hard, period. And if parents can help you Not them a bad moderate. recipe. And then, the, and then if you do those two things and you have a little bit of success, and this is the thing that's so powerful about being in, in America, and it's not true about many other billion souls, unfortunately, in this world, then you have a sense of agency. When I was in the classroom a little bit earlier in my career, not in as much as I think. I like to say, as a mentor told me, uh, my the campus is my classroom now, so I'm not in the classroom as much. But um, I used to talk about the, um, the power of agency. So I'd say, if you do A... Do you think that B will happen? And this is honor these are honor students at the University of Oklahoma and I was a vice president professor, and they would say, Yeah, I believe that. I go, then you're special. Because most people in the world don't think they can have any control, they think That's they're put, interesting. They think so. they're they think they're pushing the ocean. That's and, interesting. And it doesn't make any difference. So you think you can and your kids. They think
0: they can affect change because it's true. Yeah, because it's true. in this country. Yes, and in this city, you can you can affect. Look at you! Look at the change that you've made in this city. Yes, and the impact you've made in this city. Oh, it's nice to say, no, that. but for real, in three years. Yeah. And nice. I mean yeah, boom it's so yeah so congratulations to you also I appreciate it Barbara how did you hear what the nice thing Greg <laughs> said about me I just I'm just saying He's <laughs> it's it has, it has to be
1: true But the cool thing about it is also we can do micro example that in a university setting we have the student engagement transcript our set and these are the co-curricular activities around leadership yeah. and the arts and other things some um, civic engagement what have you that we require our students to do some of it kind of sits on a transcript uh, uh, with their academic transcript. And part of that is to, is to grow that agency thing. Do a community project.
0: Do something with the fraternity, your sports team or whatever to move the needle a little bit. goes a long way. Makes it you does. And, and, and by anybody's standard, you've had success. So you've done some of those agency things and it sounds like you, know, you, you certainly learned a lot from your parents. And I hope this doesn't make you feel uncomfortable, what I'm about to ask you. But you clearly have had a ton of success. What are some of the rituals? What are some of the things you've done personally? You just took a big, big deep breath. But I, <laughs> I want to know that if I were if I were a listener and I'm thinking, wow, this guy, look at all this stuff he's done. Mm-hmm. What are some of the things that you've done that you believe were instrumental in your success?
1: Well, I'll say a couple of things. First off, um, yeah, yeah, I told my t- team yesterday, I did kind of a town hall thing with a couple of groups. I said, I'm like a duck. I'm cool on top, but I'm paddling like <laughs> hell underneath. And- and this goes without saying, of course, I've had my moments of wow, knocked to my I mean, there's a great quote by Lincoln says, I've been um I've been knocked to my feet, knocked to my knees, um and overwhelmed by what I was not able to accomplish, something like that. And it just brings tears to your eyes, this image of, of Lincoln, you know, sort of uh, prostate, thinking about how and he was one of the greatest men greatest men in human history. So I've had my ups and downs, um, deaths and you know, attempts at things that, that failed, a plane crash uh, when I was in flight school, having to bail out of an airplane and, and almost perishing, I, and, 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 and a, a whole list of, of other failures. I always say, I, you see this resume with all this good stuff? I got another one. <laughs> yeah, And it has all the failures on it. And if you want to see it, call my wife, Barbara, and her, her email address is, and she'll tell you all about them. But uh, in all seriousness, I think that that other resume is what makes you appreciate the other one, right? Um, but in terms of success, I, I, I say, I fancy myself a leader, and I say there's three things you have to do, three PhDs you need to get to be a good leader. So this is a little bit of mine. It's not secret sauce, but how I kind of see the world. First thing is you get a PhD in yourself. I think leaders that do well know themselves well. And I started off at a pretty young age. I was self-aware, but not self-conscious. So when I was in eighth grade. That's an important distinction. Yeah. Um, when I was in eighth grade, I said, you know what? I make it A's, A minuses, maybe an IB plus. I go, I think I can make all A pluses. I'm not as smart as everybody in this room, but I know how to work smart. And I made straight A pluses. Back to the agency thing. I literally said, I'm going to make A pluses. And I did. Um, and, and I recognized that it wasn't just because I was super smart. And so I, my whole life, I kind of know what I do well and know what I don't do well. Leaders, people that are successful, people say, you
0: need to take – To about that, that's a result goal, not a goal, not a process goal, right? So yes. it's like A plus, not the process of I'm going to study more an hour every day more. You had the well, result. Like, then you had to put together the process. That's exactly right. Out. I just told a student that a couple of days ago, no. a
1: real nice young lady. She's actually at her MBA at Robert Morris. And she's down at Clemson. And again, she's one of our faculty's daughter, faculty members' daughters, and she was asking me about – you know, what you want to do, and advice. I, I told it: break up your big goals into small goals. Mm-hmm. And so, but I did that. So I actually backwards plan. And just like you talk about with your investor, you got a backwards plan. You're mm-hmm. going to get there. You got to, so that was part. So getting a PhD in, my, in myself, being self-aware, getting a PhD and the world around me, around me, being contextually aware. So the first one is being self-aware. Number two is being contextually aware. So understanding things like, as I've moved up, that the skill sets that have allowed me to be successful, say as an individual contributor, running a small organization are different than running a medium side than running a bigger enterprise. Also going, have, having moved 13 times and been all through civil society and different jobs, education, intelligence, military, nonprofit, for profit, recognizing that I could take some things I learned at, at um, the air force or GE general electric to Robert Morris, but not everything. Cause I always say, if I, if I spent all my time saying, well, back at general electric, we did this. People will say, get your butt back right. to general electric. Right. So being contextually aware. And the last thing I say is that, you know, Part of my success is trying to get a PhD in leadership, constantly, constantly reading about other leaders and what they've done well and what they haven't done well. One book must read. What would it be? Warren Bennis wrote a book called On Becoming a Leader. Leadership guru, was at the Marshall School of Business at USC, but also was an army soldier, decorated soldier in Korea, ran the University of Cincinnati, right? Um He's kind of a, uh, um, a leadership whisperer. He, Howard Schultz, a lot of these people mm-hmm. and became a great leadership professor and wrote extraordinarily well in, in terms of business and, and management and leadership. And the book "On Becoming the Leader" is one that I always have people that I mentor read. And I said, "That's the price. That's the price of it. Read that book, and then we can talk." Mm-hmm. Because he talks about leadership as a journey of self-actualization, self actualization, self self control, self management, self actualization, right? And that whole process of being. The best leader is being an authentic journey to being the best you. And so On Becoming a Leader is an outstanding read. I recommend it to your readers. It uh, talks about developing empathy, some of the mm-hmm. things I've kind of mm-hmm. borrowed. Um, I'm smiling because years ago I had a student in my – I used to teach that in this class. and had a student who, who unfortunately fell ill with cancer, and he wanted to meet Warren Bennis. And the young man survived, and this is before Mr. Bennis passed away, Dr. Bennis passed away. And I called him, and I connected them, and he had this great conversation. That's the kind of guy he was. Yeah,
0: it's interesting when you talk about. Uh, he said you speak up, right? When you believe, you speak up. So I was, I was with a gentleman the other night, uh, on Tuesday night at Olive Familia, great restaurant, mm-hmm. and he said, he said, I believe he was doing something courageous. He was very generous, gener- very generous person. I was amazed by him. He said that's because I believe when I die, I'm going to be asked two questions. Mm-hmm. I've given you great resources. What have you done with them? Mm -hmm. So he's very generous, Mm -hmm. donates a lot of money. He said, The second thing that I think I'm going to be asked is I've given you the ability to speak without getting tongue tied. How did you speak up when you thought it was appropriate? Mm -hmm. And he said, Because of those two questions that I firmly believe I'm going to be asked, that's why I do the things I do,
1: which was interesting. Yeah. Living by a code, you know, I just saw. Um, a few good men at the public square theater. I don't know if you guys saw that. It was so well done. Mm-hmm. Neil, Jack Nicholas movie. Um um Jack Nicholson, excuse me. Mm-hmm. Jack Nicholson. And there's no golfing in that movie. It was <laughs> all he talked about was golf. Jack Nicholson, the movie. Great play. Rocky Blyer and Larry Richard alternatively played the judge. So it was pretty cool. Yeah. If, uh, if you remember if you remember the scenes. Um but when when I watched that there was, there was that whole idea of, you know, uh Santiago died because he had no code. And there's a uh, Sutherland who played the lieutenant in the movie and the, and the guy he does a great job in the play. He had no code. I'm not into this old school biblical the guy's like, I have the marine here and I got the Bible there and I live. But we need to figure out, as one of my mentors and friends, uh, Jack, uh, Jack Sandifer, Jeff Sandifer used to say, some thou shalt and thou shalt not. We need, um, a leadership philosophy, a tr- a, a compass, a, a true north, uh, whether it be faith or whatever, because. You know, life's like this. You're either in a storm, just leaving a storm, or heading into a storm. Right. So you better to get a damn raincoat. Right. And so with me, I've got some things, some things that are in my for my faith and what have you. And then my my guidance is I want to lead, I want to serve, and I want to grow. So if I'm leading, serving, and growing, I'm in the right place. But if, if one of those tri- parts, legs of the tripod's not working, then it's time to reconsider. And redirect or whatever you. It might not mean going somewhere different, but I want to lead, I want to serve, and I want to grow.
0: Right. So, Wonderful. is your an important point? Very yeah. impressive. Yeah. I'm going to ask you a question, totally off, yeah. totally off subject, but I got to know this. What's it like picking the top 25? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that, that <laughs> like, is. Like, what's that room like? I mean, is it, it's a little
1: bit like, um, you know, being university president, somebody's going to be mad at you. You right. just don't want everybody to be mad right. at you at the same time. <laughs> but it, it, it's so so it's a college football playoff selection committee. Right. Uh, I've been on there for three years. I'm, I'm just I'm rotating off now, and it has been a privilege, a hoot. It has been so much fun, and I'll tell you. Um, And we had our last pick of the 20, you know, top 25. Because we set I talked to, to you next
0: morning. Yeah, you just yeah. came back. Yeah. yeah,
1: Um, and we got to kind of have a, a senior day where we talk to each other, the fellow committee members and the staff and kind of reflect. And I said, you know, there will be dissertations done on this process because the way it works, it's a room uh, maybe three times bigger than this. Lots of computers, lots of data, and you have a voting system. And we come in, bring in the 160-something, and then it gets down. We We, we vote on 30. And there's yeah, You need at least like three votes to make the list. That all happens electronically. And then we start rank ordering in terms of groups. So we they'll say, pick the top six teams and the top three of that six, we'll talk about them, and the top three of that six will be our top three along those lines. And you have this amazing discourse with these really, really smart people that know football. You know, Coach Frank Beamer, legendary – I had Ty Willingham. Um, years before, it was you know, Connelly's eyes. I didn't have the honor of being in a room with her, but I got a chance to know the secretary. And then you talk about it. You debate. And then you push the button wow. on how you rank. But you don't know how anybody else right. voted. So people can say what they want to say, right. but they vote what they think they need to vote. And um, the ability – and this is as a leader, you've got a team. If you can give people to speak their mind to – they need to worry about the consequence, but to be brutally honest and to be able to change their mind, mm-hmm. to be vulnerable, you'd have a great team. Because, mm-hmm. you know, you're the boss. It's, it's hard. You want to please people. There's politics. You don't want to look stupid because you U-turn. Oh, like
0: mm-hmm. Some of that is having the leader not push back immediately. hundred percent. And challenge the idea right away or you're not going to get another one ever again, right?
1: So – Beautifully said. And so it's there's a chair uh, of the committee who has to kind of bring us along. But right. you're absolutely right. So, the, so these lessons, it's not just – I try to learn from everything. So do I? Yep. So I kind of watch how um, uh, Rob Mullins, who's the AD at Oregon, um, has or, – and before that was Kirby Holcutt at Texas Tech, has kind of orchestrated the conversation. But again, y- y- you make your vote. We don't see it. So right. I don't know what you have voted and what I voted. And then we go at it again. And so the purity – of trying to get it right. We kept telling ourselves in the room, let's just get it right. Right. Here's the protocol. Let's let's be brave.
0: Let's here's a protocol. Go through it. And you know, it's it's been a lot of fun. So you're in Pittsburgh. Do we have you to blame that Pitt has not been in the top ten for the last <laughs> three? Years? Have you ever voted? Let's get it on record, Chris. Have you ever voted for Pitt to be in the top ten? No comment. <laughs> chris thank you so valuable this conversation i really appreciate hope the listeners do and thank you for your service to our nation thank you for making pittsburgh a better place thank you on behalf of all those students that they're going to have a brighter career and thank you for your ideas on leadership and helping all of us be a better version of ourselves my pleasure and thank you for not laughing at me when we played
1: golf (laughs) you you, you and doc gage are great people thank you very much greg
0: Thanks for listening. If you'd like to hear other subject matters that may be of interest to you, please check us out at confluencefp.com slash podcasts.